You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. What's up, Christ Walk? Sorry, they got cut off. How's everybody doing this morning? All right, well. Man, what a morning it has been. Um, uh, if you got your Bible, you got a smart device, why don't you turn with me or swipe with me to the New Testament. We're going to be in the third gospel, the, the book of Luke. We call the first four books of the New Testament the gospels because gospel means good news. And the reason those four books in particular are such good news is because they tell of the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to land there together in Luke chapter 15 in just a moment. Um, how many parents do I have in the room? Parents? Yeah, a few, a few. My wife and I, we have two kids. We have a 15-year-old son named Luke and a 12-year-old daughter named Avery. And when you are a parent, there are certain expectations that come with being a part of that family. And as a parent, you have certain expectations that you place on your children. And kids, for those of you that are in the room, no doubt you have certain expectations that you place on your parents. And this is reciprocated. It works in symbiosis back and forth. And, and it can often, those, those expectations, when they go unmet one way or the other, that is what leads to breakdowns within the family structure. Like, for example, when, uh, when, when you're a, a child and you don't do chores according to the guidelines that have been set before. You decide to go off the rails and do them on your own way. You, you make the decision that I don't need mom and dad to tell me how to do things. I can do them on my own. I know how to do them the right way. And then no doubt, mom and dad, if it's anything like it happens in our house, we'll go behind the kids, we'll check up on the chores, we'll see that they have gone rogue and not done them the way uh, in accordance with the standards that we have put in front of them. And so we'll call them into their room or their bathroom or the kitchen or wherever it is that we're pointing out the issue that has gone awry. And we'll point it out to them and we'll show them the error of their ways. And, and, and parents, you know, the first thing they say is, well, I know, I know. And then we say, well, if you knew, then why didn't you do it the right way, right? Is this sounding familiar to anyone in the house this morning? Or, or uh, better yet, kids, um, you have an expectation that, that when you do all of the chores and you do them correctly, that then you get something, Right? Like, like when my kids come to me and they'll, they'll, they'll list off the, the, oh, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. And I say, is it done? Is it done right? Is it done? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's done right. Well, if I go and check it, will it be done? And they're like, hold on. I, I gotta, I'll be right back. <laughs> and then they come back and they give me the list. Well, I've done this and this and this, and it's all done correctly. So now what do I get in return for that? And I always say, you get to keep living here in this house that your mother and I pay for. 
and you get to keep eating the groceries that your mother and I pay for. And you get to continue to stay connected to the internet that your mother and I pay for. That is what you get. And when you got kids, when you're a part of a family, you have to handle different situations differently because those kids are different. Luke and Avery, they are totally different. They are, they are night and day. Luke is, Luke is super introverted and he's, he's steady and he's stable and trustworthy. And Avery is a social butterfly, and she is 90 miles an hour from the moment that she wakes up. She's all over the place and just um, never meets a stranger like one of those kinds of people. And, and while we love our children the same, we love them equally, we love them differently. But that love that we have for them is never based on their performance. It's never based on their performance. I don't love Avery any less if she doesn't wash the dishes correctly. I don't love Luke any more if he gets straight A's on his report card. We love them all the same. It's not based on performance. And even though we love them equally, we love them differently. We love them just because they are our kids. But despite these facts, we've come to believe the opposite. As kids, we've come to believe that, that um, when, when we mess up, that our parents are going to love us less. Or we've come to believe that if they could only see things the way we see them, then they would get right on track. That maybe what mom and dad want for us, what mom and dad have in store for us, it's, it's not necessarily the best thing for us. And, and they're just old and antiquated and out of touch. And if they would only be able to see things from our perspective, then we could show them the right way. And, and what's happened is, is, is we've allowed that to then bleed over into our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we think that, that somehow we know better. And we'll say, you know, we, we, we would have these thoughts of, of, God, if you would only see things my way, if you would only see what I need, if you would only see what I need you to do in order to fix this problem, then everything would be the way that it's supposed to be. Or, or if I do X, Y, Z, then, then finally I will be in a place where I'm accepted and where I'm loved by God. If only those things would happen. And those are the lies that we've allowed to perpetuate and that we've believed for ourselves and that we've, over the long term, have started to live our life by. And so today we're wrapping up a series called No Ordinary Love because the love of God is far from ordinary where we've been talking about what the love of God looks like and what our response should be to that love and what that means for us when we do respond to his love. And all the way back at Easter a few weeks ago in part one, we learned that because of God's unlimited love that you and I can live unlimited life. And while God's love is limitless, if we choose not to receive it, then we make it out to be worthless. 
Then last week in part two, we talked about how God's unlimited love, it offers us sonship through the work of Jesus Christ. And when we choose to receive his love in our life, it gives us identity and acceptance and approval. And so today I want to pick up with kind of where we left off last week and in almost a continuation of thought. So if you haven't listened to last week's message, I would encourage you to go back. And even though this is going to be okay standalone, it'll make a lot more sense. These two connected together. So go back to our YouTube channel or our podcast and check out last week's uh, message. But um, for those of you that may not have heard it, or for those of you that did hear it and just need a refresher um, from last week, we were talking about how in the Old Testament that, that the Bible is um, it's separated into these two large uh, chunks of Scripture. We have the Old Testament, um, which is the beginning of the Bible, and then the New Testament, uh, which picks up with the Gospels and following into the Pauline epistles and, um, and, and some of those things. So in the Old Testament, we were under what is known as the dispensation of the law, that our connection with God was based on our ability to follow the rules but that in the New Testament, we are now under what is um, the dispensation of grace. And because of the work of Jesus Christ now, the, he, he came to fulfill the law so that then we can live under his grace. And, and because of the work of Christ, God decided in the New Testament um, to flip the script and to introduce a different dynamic through the work and the person of Jesus. And so Jesus comes on the scene, as I said, as a fulfillment of the law and allows us to now live in that dispensation of grace. We're no longer under the law. We are now under grace. And this different dynamic has been brought about because of Jesus. And our connection to God is no longer through following all the rules or the regulations and checking off all of the boxes of the law. But instead, now the flip is the, the script has been flipped. And so now, um, our connection with God is through a relationship as part of his family. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 18, like we talked about uh, last week, it echoes the sentiments of uh, God the Father. And one of the last things he spoke in Malachi before the 400 years of silence of the intertestamental period, um, 2 Corinthians six eighteen echoes that where God says, and I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And he's talking about, talking to the people who would place their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that for those people, I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. But even though you and I have been given the opportunity to be a part of God's family, sometimes it can be easy for us to feel like we don't belong or that somehow we're just not good enough to be accepted and approved and loved by the Father. It's, it's easy for us to, to, from time to time, to become unsettled in our relationship with God. And, and even when we buy in all the way into the lie that the devil is whispering in our ear that God himself, that he doesn't even want us, that we are unwanted because of the way that we have lived apart from him. And perhaps 
You've even wondered at some point, maybe you're even here as a last-ditch effort this morning, wondering, does God even care about me at all? Does God even see me? Is God even aware that I'm here? Is he even in touch, in tune with anything that's going on in my life? Maybe you've wondered that at some point in your past. Maybe you're wondering that today. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus shares with us a parable, which is a fancy word for a story that is used to illustrate a point. Jesus shares with us a parable that allows us to see exactly how the heart of God the Father is toward his children. It's a very familiar passage for a lot of people, and many would know it as the story of the prodigal son. And it begins in verse 11 of Luke chapter 15. We're going to read all the way to verse 24, and then we'll come back and finish out the passage a moment after that. Uh, Starting in verse 11, uh, Luke writes, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. So Jesus was, um, he's at this moment, he is eating with some sinners. And um, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, they didn't like that. And they'd come around to point the finger and give Jesus a hard time. And so while he has this audience of these uh, super high religious people and these, um, in their eyes, terrible low-life scum sinners, uh, Jesus decides to share this story so that everyone can hear. And so Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons, verse 12. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I'm dying of hunger. So I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. And when we take a look at the first part of this passage, we're we're introduced to this first son. And this first son represents rebellion. He was the son of rebellion. He had taken on the mindset or the belief that he didn't need a father. 
that he was old enough and smart enough to have it all figured out on his own. And so he goes and he asks for his inheritance and he's like, basically, dad, I got this, right? I know how to do it. He displayed an attitude and a mindset that chose to go against the father's love and the father's ways. He was basically saying, just give me what's mine so that I can go and live outside of your will. He had gotten to the place where he didn't want to stick around for his father to tell him what to do. Instead, he wanted to live life his own way. In other words, he didn't want to remain at home and grow and develop and ultimately thrive under the umbrella of his sonship that the home offered. And so if you're taking notes, um, I'd encourage you to write this down. Uh, the, the, first, the first point that I'd like to make from this passage is, is, number one, rebellion keeps us from staying home. Rebellion keeps us from staying home. And What's interesting about this passage is I think it it shows us a complete picture of God's love and grace because even though the father knew that giving his son what he asked for wasn't the best thing for him, he gave it to him anyway and allowed him to make his own decisions. Even though those decisions ultimately led to the son making poor choices and finding himself in a world full of hurt and pain because of his mistakes. And so I I would just caution you before we go any further as maybe a little sidebar that, that you and I, we need to be very careful what we ask God for. Because he just might give it to us and then we're going to be left standing there holding the bag, responsible for carrying and putting our hands on things that we were never intended to carry in the first place. And what happens is, is when we put our hands to things, especially uh, on things where they don't belong, God will often let us have control in order for us to learn that his way is the best way. That he'll give us just enough rope to hang ourselves, so to speak, so that we can figure out, oh, wait a minute, I don't know what I'm doing after all. That that's how the Lord teaches and leads and guides and directs and disciplines us. That he'll, he'll allow us to, to make those mistakes so that we can see our need for him. And see, the son, because of all of his mistakes, because of uh, he, he had blown the inheritance and, and he had nothing to show for it. And, and the passage says that there was, there was no one that would do or give anything for him. All those friends that he had during all of, all of that that was taking place when he had all the money and he could, he could engage in the wild lifestyle and the parties and the this and the that. And he could afford the fancy cars and the, and the, the fur coats and all of those things that that once all of that dried up, well, the friends dried up with it. And there was no one that would give him anything. And he he had gotten so low and he was so hungry that even the, the slop, the junk, the garbage that was being fed to the pigs looked like a filet mignon to him. That was the position 
that he was in. And because of all of those mistakes, he, he had gotten so low that he had begun to believe that because of his behavior, because of his actions, because of his mistakes, that he had somehow forfeited his sonship. And he desired just to be a servant instead. He didn't say or think to himself, I'll go back home to my father and see if he'll let me live in my old room again. He said, no, perhaps I can go back and be a servant, be a slave at home. Because at least they have food. See, because of his choices, because of his mistakes... He had bought into the lie that he wasn't worthy of being a son. But he mustered up his courage and he humbly returned home. And when he did, the father welcomed him. Somebody needs to hear me this morning. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're here in this room. When you'll humbly return to the father, he will welcome you with open arms. And when the son came home, he didn't, he, the, the father didn't ask him to give an account for all the money that he had spent and for everything that he'd done. And he didn't beat him over the head with, with his past mistakes and everything and say, son, how could you let it get this way? He said, no, come here. Get, let's, let's get a robe for your, for your shoulders. Let me get a ring for your finger. Let me get some shoes for your feet. He told the, he told the servants, he said, go and kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. Because the son had returned home. And when we choose to return home to the father, that's what he's going to do to us. That's God's unlimited love. He's not going to condemn us. He's not going to beat us over the head. There will be discipline. There will be consequences for our actions that, that we made. It's not God doing stuff to us. It's us that we've done stuff to ourselves. But God's not going to beat us over the head with that. Instead, he is going to wrap his arms of love around us. You'll note that, that the father, he didn't wait until the son got home. He ran out to greet him. And he said, get the robe, get the ring, get the shoes. He's back home, baby. Let's throw a party. And that robe, it it represents righteousness, saying, I'm clothing you in righteousness. Now, now because you've humbly returned home to the Father, you are now in right standing. He didn't give him a list of chores and say, go and do all of these things, and then I'll put a robe on your shoulders. No, he said, get the robe, put it on him. He's come back. He's now in right standing. And that righteousness afforded him to have a ring put on his finger. And that ring represents authority because he chose to come back home. Not only was he seen as a right in in, in right standing with the father, but he was given the authority of the father as one of his own. He had access to and the power to the things that the father had. We We were at Disney last week. My family, we had an incredible vacation. You guys helped us send us on it. It was awesome. Um, Disney does it up right. They give you these things called magic bands now. And so that's all that you need to access everything. And you have your, you have your, your debit card connected um, to it. and everything. So like you don't have to carry anything, like any purchase you need to make. You just, boop, boop, you just tap your little magic band and everything. And Avery... She thinks it's like the coolest thing. Anytime we would buy something, she would say, Daddy, can I scan my magic band? 
Sure, baby, go ahead. Go ahead. Now, her magic band is connected to my debit card. You see where I'm going with this. I booked the vacation. She had the thing on her wrist that she thought, I can get whatever I want. And the truth was, is that it was, it was me as her father that I had given her that authority. That when she scanned that magic band, they weren't asking her for, for her to pay. It was coming back and it was taking it out of my account. And that's what's happening when we come home to the father. He's going to clothe us in righteousness. And then he's going to give us authority to do the things that, that he has given to us. He's, he's going to impart within us gifts and, and abilities and things for us to use. That, that he wants to do things in and through us. And, and when we are we find ourselves in right standing with him, it doesn't just stop there. But he puts a ring on our finger. And we have authority that we have access to everything that the Father has. It's the robe of righteousness. It's the the ring of authority. And then he says, and put some shoes on his feet. There was a thing that separated the servants from the sons. The servants were barefoot, but the sons had shoes. He was saying, no, he's not going to be a servant. He's not going to be a slave in this house. My son has come home and and he is clothed in righteousness and I have empowered him with the authority. Everything I have is now his and he is my son. So set him apart. Don't let him blend in with the servants. He's a son because he's come home humbly out of his rebellion Rebellion keeps us from staying home, staying home. See, we often refer, as I mentioned um, at the top of this, we often refer to this story as the prodigal son, but it's really a story about two sons, neither of whom fully understood the love of the father. Because the story continues, it doesn't just end there with that one son coming home and the party and the celebration and the the robe and the ring and the shoes. It continues, Luke 15, verse 25, we pick up there. Jesus says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back. He was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and we are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in to the party. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, note, he doesn't even call him my brother. He says, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So where the first son was the son of rebellion, the second son was the son of religion. 
First son was the son of rebellion. The second son is the son of religion. Where the first son believed he didn't need a father, the second son believed he didn't have a father. See, he had access living in the house. He had access to everything the father had, but he was unable to receive it because he spent so much time working, trying to earn it. That maybe if I do this, maybe if I do that, maybe if I get that right, then finally dad will notice me. Then finally, maybe I'll get a party with my friends. Then finally, maybe I will be worth something. See, he felt like that because he had followed all the rules, because he had checked all of the boxes, that he deserved the love of his father, but he wasn't getting what he deserved. And that is religion in its purest form right there. See, rebellion keeps us from staying home. But number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. Religion keeps us from experiencing home. Rebellion keeps us from staying home, but religion keeps us from experiencing home. And everything, the fullness of what the house, the home, with the father at the head has to offer. And, and we, don't, we don't intend to be religious. Like, I don't think people wake up in the morning and go, you know what? I'm going to be just grotesquely religious today. Let's get it started. No, they don't do that. We just kind of drift there over time. It just sort of happens. And, and I'll be honest, the, the majority of religious people I know, and, 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 and please hear me, I'm not talking about religious in terms of like people that, that attend church or that believe in, in God, believe in Jesus. Like this is, we're using religion in, in terms of something much, much deeper. Like it's, it's a thing that you're stuck in and that you're, you find yourself uh, encased in this box of rules and regulations. That's religion. And, and we find ourselves there, the, the majority of the people that I know that I would say, man, they're full of religion. The, they got there with the very best of intentions. They got there by trying to live right and honor God with their life. And somewhere along the way, that became the basis of their faith. Just trying to do the right thing, trying to be the right person, trying to dress the right, right way and be sure that your hair's all in place and that, that you say the right things and you go to the right places and, and all of that stuff and just trying to do right and live right and honor God. And we just, over time, just got stuck in it. We didn't mean to, and it was with the best of intentions. We truly wanted to honor God with our life, but then here we are. And, and what happens is, is because, because over time, we begin to take pride in the fact that, that we've chosen to follow God so radically. And that we've, we've chosen to separate ourselves from the world and, and honor God with our lives. But what happens is, is that pride ultimately leads us to cast judgment toward others who are unlike us. And that leads to arrogance. And so all of a sudden we look around and religious people are those people that are in the church, but they're better than everyone else. They've got their seat. You know what I'm talking about? Don't you sit in a religious person's seat. I, was at a ch I worked at a church one time 
which will remain nameless. It's not this church. But where I literally saw newcomers, like they were first-time guests, and they came and they sat in old sister so-and-so's seat. You didn't sit in old sister so-and-so's seat. And she showed up for church that day and saw that there was someone else sitting in her seat that had the little brass, you know, name placard on it because she had given money to the church back when Methuselah was alive, you know. (laughs) Old sister so-and-so got mad and left. If I can't sit in my seat, I just won't have church at all because she's better than ever. That's the picture of religiosity that I'm trying to paint this morning. And that's what happened with the second son. The second son became angry when the first son got what the second son believed he was owed from the father. You see what's happening here? He's mad that this other son who has wasted things and lived outside of the father's will for so long that now he's getting a party, but here I've been and I've worked and I've slaved and I've stayed in line and I've checked all the boxes and I've never left home and I don't get anything. That is religion. And see, for a lot of us, like, like we, we like the idea of people coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We like the idea of church growth and people getting saved and, and, and their lives radically changed and transformed up until the point that it's an inconvenience for us or it pushes us outside of our comfort zone. We like the idea of of people's lives turning around up until the point that a drug addict or an alcoholic or a prostitute comes and sits next to us during morning worship. We like all of that up until the point to when those people get celebrated from the platform instead of us. All of a sudden... We look around and realize that there's not a lot of other people in the church that look like us anymore. That should be an indicator right there as to whether or not you are a religious person. You look around the church and you don't see other people that look like you. And you feel like that everyone you do see is somewhere on a tier beneath you. That's religion right there. That somehow you deserve more because you're doing more for the kingdom. You're serving more. You're giving more. You're whatever more because somehow you've earned greater love and grace and favor from the Lord. And that everybody else just needs to get in line. Can I just preach for a little bit? Is that okay? I I think some of us are going to be surprised or maybe even mad when we get to heaven and find out who's there with us or maybe who's not there with us and and that is if we make it ourselves we're going to get to heaven and 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 get a shock you mean that person that's religion right there philippians chapter 2 verse 3 paul writes this he says be free from pride filled opinions 
for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. The son who had left had returned and all the second son could think of is, well, I never did get my party. That's religion. See, rebellion keeps us from staying home. Religion keeps us from experiencing home. That, that All of that was there the whole time. But because son number two was so busy trying to work to earn it, he missed out on it all. And then when son number one got it, dad, why did you never give that to me? And dad says, you had access to it always. Always, it was right there. That's the love that I have for you. And and somewhere deep inside of us, you and I, we have a tendency to be like one or the other of these sons. We have the tendency that our pendulum swings toward the side of rebellion, or we have the tendency that that, that our pendulum swings toward the side of religion. And it's because of our sin nature that we'll either drift toward the guilt and shame that is associated with rebellion or, or the works and the rules and the perfection that come along with religion. We either find ourselves running away from God, trying to convince ourselves that he's not good, or we find ourselves trying to check all of the boxes in our own power and believing that he's not giving us the things that we deserve. We're crazy. That's how we live. See, this prodigal son, this story, it's not just a story about one son. And it's really not just a story about two sons. In fact, there's a third son in the story, and he's the one telling it. That's Jesus. See, Jesus knew firsthand how good the Father is. Jesus knew firsthand what the father's heart was for his children. Because Jesus, rather than living in rebellion or religion, he was just in constant relationship with the father. Just constantly. He was just in relationship. He wasn't in religion. He wasn't in rebellion. He was just in relationship with the father. When Jesus had a good day, he gave the father glory. When Jesus had a bad day, he cried out to the Father. When Jesus was betrayed, he extended forgiveness out of the love of the Father. When Jesus was tempted, he would rely on the words of the Father. When Jesus faced death on the cross, he surrendered to the will of the Father. See, when I look at it and I look at this passage and I see these two sons, one caught up in rebellion, one caught up in religion, what I see is that both rebellion and religion are control issues. It's control because that's what we want. We want control. And for those of us caught up in rebellion, we say, I want to control how I get to spend the inheritance. And for those of us that are caught up in religion, we say, I want to control who has access to the inheritance. But see, a relationship, what Jesus showed us, it's neither about rebellion or religion. Relationship doesn't seek control for itself. Instead, relationship relinquishes control to the Father. 
Relationship says, I'm going to do things your way because I know that as my father, you have my best interest at heart. Mark 14, 35 through 36 says that Jesus went on a little further and fell to the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. This is when he's in Gethsemane and the cross is imminent. He knows what is about to happen. And he calls out in verse 36, Abba, Father. See, Jesus knew who he was and he knew who he was speaking to. Abba, Father, he cried out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus wasn't running away from the cross, shaking his fist at God, saying, how dare you send me there? He also wasn't siding with the, the Pharisees thinking, why can't everyone just be holy like me and you don't deserve? I'm not going to go to the cross because those people in their sin, they don't deserve it. No, he said, I want your will, not my will to be done. Rebellion keeps us from staying home. Religion keeps us from experiencing home. But then there's a third R and that's repentance. Repentance allows us to return home and to continually receive the unlimited love offered to us by our good and generous Father. Repentance allows us to return home and continually receive the unlimited love offered to us by our good and generous Father. See, the antidote for rebellion and religion, it's repentance. Repentance means I'm going in this direction and I realize that I'm moving the, in, away from God and in the, in the wrong direction. And so I turn and do a 180 and I go back in God's direction. That, that's that's what, what Jesus showed for us. He never had to repent because he was never going in the wrong direction. He just was in relationship. But, but what happens is, is that, that there are those of us here, we've gotten out of right relationship with the Father because of rebellion and because of religion. And so we need to repent. We've gotten out of right relationship and we're moving in a direction that is away from the Father. So we need to repent and we need to move, taking the path of Jesus Christ, we need to move back in towards God's way. So if you're here today and, and you're, you're the rebellious son or daughter, Return home. The Father's arms are waiting. Repent of your sin. Recognize that the way that you're choosing to live your life on your own terms, it's simply not working. Admit that that you need God, your Father, and don't you dare allow the guilt and shame that the enemy is trying to dump on your head to keep you from embracing the love that is being made available to you today. All you have to do is accept the Father's love. Let him clothe you in righteousness. Let him establish you with his authority. Let him empower you as a son or daughter of the house. If you're in rebellion, return home. 
Maybe you're the religious son or daughter today. Come home. The Father's arms are waiting. Repent of your pride and your arrogance. Humble yourself before God and receive his unmerited. That means you can't earn it. Receive his unmerited grace, love, and favor for your life. Whether you're rebellious, whether you're religious, it's time to repent. It's time to come home. For somebody today, that might mean stepping into a relationship with Jesus Christ for the very first time. And if that's you, the father is crying out. He's saying, come home. And his arms are open wide. He is running out to meet you right now. If you're in this room or you're watching with us online, and if that's you and you're ready to come home to the father, I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Can we pray together? that's you today, would you just pray this prayer along with me? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And today, I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.